they're really they're ready all the right best way to protect him is to not talk about him i know right all right guys welcome to this new episode of truth serum if you missed last week's episode please check it out uh, we discussed socialism and capitalism the misconceptions and how it affects people uh, subscribe and follow. We want you to be involved in this. This is an interactive experience. This is not just people who like to hear themselves talk. This is a group of people every week who want to put forth solutions for a better America for all of us. Um, today, we are going to have a conversation about political parties, the necessary evils that play an important role in American government. Ah politics and our livelihood. Uh, to have this conversation, we are joined by my girl, Tara Setmeyers. She's a CNN ABC contributor, former GOP communications director on Capitol Hill. Catch her podcast, Honestly Speaking with Tara, with new episodes every Tuesday. And Nando Vila, TYT contributor, which is where we became buddies, a writer, producer, and he also has a podcast called, called Let's Pod It Out, an entourage podcast which is so fitting for him because he's always getting the praise and love by women on my um, <laughs> on my Instagram page. <laughs> well, you know, all I'll say is that a podcast about entourage in this time is the obviously the most important podcast yeah. in the history of the world. <laughs> I got, I got. Listen, anything that allows me to escape for one moment, because it doesn't matter where we go, people want to talk about politics, and yeah. you know, this is a politics-free zone. It's a. <laughs> It's just my podcast. Yeah, well, we love it. This one, unfortunately, is not. <laughs> Mine either. <laughs> and, and we got to talk about it, you know, with the. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to start with this because I think it's funny. Uh, Tara tweeted about the show and she said, My girl. And then I tweeted her back and I put a heart. And then someone DM'd me and was like, You're friends with, uh, with a Republican? And I'm like, No, I'm friends with a, a woman who happens to be a Republican. And that's the problem. We can't have nuanced conversations. We can't disagree. We can't, it, it's just become a mess. And so here where we have these candid, honest conversations where we dare to, to explore nuance, that's the point of it. The point of it is to be able to have these conversations so that we can, you know, we can move forward. So mm -hmm. depending on where you stand on the ideological spectrum, whether you consider yourself liberal, conservative, right, left, or green, when it comes to vo voting, you only have two choices. Democrat or Republican, or you write in Bernie Sanders. So um, <laughs> that's what so many people are continuing to do and without realizing what it's doing to us. But anyway, um, at his farewell address in 1796, George Washington said, however, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp themselves for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. So, uh, and now wow. we're this is where we are today, right? So here we are. Those of us have not completely lost hope in the power of our vote or haven't been disenfranchised by Republican voting patrol being urged by Democrats to go to the polls and risk catching a deadly virus. And once our vote is cast for either Democrat or Republican, what we do hope is to have gained some, some progress for our future. So on November 3rd, other than being able to take a huge sigh of relief and cheer your side one, now things can go back to normal or make America great again. What does this mean for those of us who have never recovered from the Obama era recession or have hundreds of thousands in student loan debt, maybe have lost our job or chronic illness and no health care in sight? So I want to just open up the conversation with both of you, uh, declaring what your political party is and why you stand with them and what criticism would you would give them from a from an objective standpoint. So I'm going to start with uh, Tara. <laughs> Well, um, first of all, I, I always say when people identify me now on the era of Trump as a Republican, that I am a sane Republican and that I'm a principled conservative. I do not support Donald Trump. I have not from day one. And uh, I think that the, the tribalism and the hypocrisy and just the rank 
nationalist populist racism that has come out of the Trump era has been very disturbing to me. And um, there have been many times where I have struggled with maintaining my Republican Party affiliation throughout this entire nightmare of the Trump era. Uh, Trump era, but I feel as though that we, since you, like you mentioned, we it's a two-party system in this country. We need to have a healthy Republican and Democratic party in order to exercise our political power right now until there's an opportunity to create a third party of some sort, which is very difficult logistically in a lot of ways. Uh, but until then, I think we still need to try to make improvements where we can. Now, if Donald Trump wins again, in uh, God forbid, in 2020 this year, I will definitely disassociate from the Republican Party because I feel then at that point, there is absolutely no hope for reform. So, um, you know, the, the, the criticisms, we could spend an entire hour on this show about what my criticisms are of the Republican Party uh, under Trump. I mean, I had criticisms before, you know, no party is is perfect. Um, it's really about your belief system and what you believe, what your values are. And that's why I always say that I'm a conservative first, because that doesn't have anything to do with the fallibility of the messengers of the parties, um, you know, and in power at the time. It's a belief system and it's the way in which I view the world. So and that's the same I would say for my progressive friends on the other side. It's a it's the way that you kind of live your life and view the world. And the conservatism part of me has not changed. You know, the arguments I get from these Trump people, and they're not Republicans per se, they're Trump people. This is about a cult of personality, not really about party ideology, because Republicans have sold their souls on a number of issues that are just not Republican in the traditional sense by supporting Donald Trump. So from protectionism to foreign policy to, you know, against the rule of law now, the Constitution doesn't matter, an imperialist president, all the things that we accused Barack Obama of being, Trump is tenfold and Republicans seem to be okay with that. So this is about Trump and it's really not about Republican party ideology. Um, but I, I say to people, I said, listen, my conservative values have not changed. I'm not the one who's changed. They come to me, they say, oh, what happened to you? You used to be X, Y, and Z. I'm like, nothing happened to me. I'm the same person in my belief system that I was before Trump that I am now. I'm not the one who's changed. You people are the ones who've done political gymnastics to justify your support for this guy. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not the one who's changed. The people in the party, the leadership, a lot of the voters who have decided to latch on to Trump's message and his personality and him giving them license to be horrible um, is a whole different dynamic that I think those of us who are consider ourselves principled conservatives are horrified by and want to bring the party back to some type of ideological consistency um, when this is all over. But that may be a heavy lift. Nando? Well, I, I, I'm on the socialist left. I don't associate with any either of the parties. They, they don't I represent me in any meaningful way. I vote tactically for Democrats most of the time. Um, it certainly, there's a few Democrats that I, that I feel strongly identified with. But um, for the most part, the political parties in the United States um, are fairly unique in, in party systems all over the world in that they don't really have members there's, you know, there's no one is like a member of the Democratic Party or a member of the Republican Party in the way you could be a member of, say, the Labor Party in the UK, where you're a dues paying member and you participate in the party affairs. These are more kind of like basically branding exercises and um, conglomerations of fundraising networks. I mean, that's basically what the political parties are in the United States. They're not truly political organizations in the way parties are traditionally understood all over the world. So in that sense, it's very difficult. That's why so many people are frustrated by the political parties. That's why so many people feel not identified with them. That's why so few people vote in the United States because they don't feel like they have even the ability to influence how their party behaves or how their party does or any way to discipline their own politicians, right? Because um, people, politicians in the United States don't have... <laughs> This, oh, hey, what's his name? <laughs> Welcome to, you know, this is how it is these days. Go ahead. It's his name is Tiki. He's an honorary member of everything. Go ahead. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I have no illusions as to what the current uh, iterations of these both political parties are in which that they're both very strongly identified with business interests and capital. Um, there's disagreements amongst, uh, amongst them, especially amongst the um, capital class, but... Um, 
they're relatively minor and they actually agree on a lot more than they disagree on. Um, so I, I don't feel identified with either party and I vote tactically, but not out of some sort of sense of party identification or loyalty. So when you say you are, uh, you are a democratic socialist, is that what you identify as? Yeah. Would you define that for the people who are watching and don't know exactly what that means? Because I just saw a really big, a very, uh, emotional video on Instagram from a Cuban man who was very angry with those people who identified as socialists uh, in light of all of the things that he suffered in Cuba. Mm -hmm. and he was very upset. And so when, when people talk about democratic socialism in America and the communism that is in Cuba and they conflate the two, I think it's important for people to understand what you mean when you say that that's what you are. Sure. I mean, for the most part, what it means is that I believe in the democratic control of the levers of the economy, right? So that if the economy is going to function a certain way, that people who actually work in the economy and build the things that we all enjoy have a say in, though, in how those decisions are made. That's fundamentally it. I mean, that's what you mean when you talk about this kind of political ideology and that this idea that a handful of people own everything and then we all work for them um, is just fundamentally unjust and that there's ways to organize society that are more just that involve more democratic participation not just in the political theater that we um, think we participate in, in American democracy but also in the day-to-day -day affairs of the economy that's fundamentally it um, you know there's there's societies that are built on those principles that function very well um, all over the world. And it's, it's, you know, to conflate one system with, with any other, just because they identify as such, like it's, you know, we talk about like a, a country like say Yemen or Saudi Arabia, which is uh, horribly poor, um, and oppressive and, you know, millions of people dying. Um, we don't conflate that with the economic system that, um, that they call themselves, which is capitalist. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, that's fundamentally kind of what I believe, that the people who make things, the people who work in the firms should have a say in how those firms are run. So I, I, I wanted to get into Joe Biden, but I would like for to wait for Bakari to get here so that he can sure. uh, defend his people. Because um, <laughs> at this point, I've become one of those. I, I was I, when I uh, turned 18, I registered independent. Right. Mm -hmm. That was my my stand. I grew up uh, with a family that was Seventh-day Adventist. I grew up with, uh, my family was anti, uh, you know, they were pro-life. There, there was such a, a mixture of belief systems. My father, stepfather's from Cuba, so he was very anti anything that, you can't say socialism in his presence. And I had to find my own way because I was like, I wanna vote for the issues. I don't wanna vote for people. These are, these are uh, public servants that work for us. And I knew that at a young age, this is not a, you know, this is not a, a celebrity that I have to be a fan of. You know, I thought it was weird with when Barack Obama was president. I just felt like you devalue them as a politician when you make them a celebrity. Right. So I think about, um, you know, when we when we talk about modern day mass democracy requires the exi the existence of both political parties. Um, and, you know, the constant critique of the two party system is not that they're too far apart, but that they're too similar and stand for little. So the, the, you, you listen to the people, nobody's ever doing enough. There's always something wrong with everybody and there's a critique and there's always a, an article to support that critique now because it, <laughs> that cat that Tara just held up can write an article right now <laughs> that can trend on Twitter. So we he'd, be, he'd, do, he'd be a better president than Trump is right now. I'm sure, I'm sure. He'd probably care about all the other cats. Oh. <laughs> and then, you know, so when we start having these conversations, we talk about the Republicans having, a, you know, a moral stand, claiming high moral ground on family values and fiscal discipline. And then uh, Donald Trump becomes the president, right? And then you talk about the Democrats nominating Biden, who was proud of his record for reaching across the aisle, but we don't know what aisle he's reaching across because I don't even think Joe knows what aisle he's reach, reaching across at this point. So we have this, you know, we, st we stick, sticking with the theme of politics and the way that we are, what, what we're engaging in currently and how this is unfolded to becoming this, this crazy, we were just talking about it. It's like Lord of the Flies, like mass hysteria, cult following the behaviors. 
you know, how do how do you differentiate the politician from the political acts characterizing their party? How do you look at someone and say, go ahead, Tara, I heard, I heard you. Well, yeah, at this, at this point, you really can't. Uh, that's the reason why, well, first of all, let me go back to your historical reference. When George Washington wrote his farewell address, he was very passionate and very cautious. He was warning folks, we do not want political parties for the exact reason that we, for the reasons we see today, the divisions that are happening now, that it becomes about the tribalism on supporting one side or the other and not about the um, individual elected officials and the people they're supposed to represent and their interests. It all becomes about this really ugly us versus them. You know, the whole house divided against itself cannot stand thing like Lincoln um, during the Civil War. So Though the, the, but that didn't last long. I mean, parties, they, they, you can't help it because people want to organize in a way to exercise their political power um, collectively. And so thus parties were born and we've been stuck with them ever since. Um, but in this day and age, it's very difficult to separate the party from the politician. Uh, at least I can speak for the, for the Republican side because the party identification has been now melded so closely to supporting Donald Trump, that if you don't support Trump, it's not even the party anymore, it's Trump, then you're some, you're an apostate, you're a heretic, and they will, you know, proverbially drag you out to the street and discard you. Like, that's it. Um, that's unfortunate, because there are, I'm sure, some decent Republicans that are in office now who are just too cowardly to speak up because they're afraid of the, the Donald Trump tweet or what happens now, how rabid the parties become, that they'll get kicked out of it, that they don't speak up. And that's a problem. And for me, I believe that those people are long past trying to give Donald Trump a pass and he's trying to grow into the job and all those things that naive politicians thought when they first supported him in the beginning. Oh, he'll grow into the job. Those of us who know, I'm from New Jersey. I grew up with the Donald Trump era I saw what he did in in uh, Atlantic City and what a you know uh, caricature he was in New York and the tabloids. I grew up with that, so I was like, "This dude is who he is. Like he is not going to change." But okay, you all can think that if you want to. Those people who kept who are long past, we are long past giving Donald Trump any more passes for who he is, and those politicians deserve to lose. They don't deserve to continue to be in office. I voted for the first time in my life, straight Democrat in the 2018 election and for uh, Joe Biden in the primary for the first time in my adult life because I felt as though the entire party has corrupted itself and they do not deserve to be in power. Until we are purged of this ilk that is Trumpism, Republicans do not deserve to be in, any, in, in power. So you can't, in this day and age with Trump in power, you cannot. In the past, you could, you had different people under the umbrella, both on Democrat and Republican sides, who don't agree on everything. You had a spectrum, but you weren't an apostate if you had a difference of opinion on those political issues on the spectrum, like you are now, at least with Republicans. And I think there's a certain purism going on, purity test going on with the Democrats too, with the whole Sanders um, emergence of that, of, of my buddy uh, Nando's those Democratic Socialists left here and AOC and that coming in, that those, those are the Tea Parties of our side. You know, we had to deal with that, with the tea, emergence of the Tea Party back in 2010. Um, and now, you know, it's Democrats' turn to, to deal with their with their their insurgents, as as they like to call them. Um, but yeah, it becomes more difficult now to separate the the per person from the party in the current structure. Nando. Well, the Tea Party was an extraordinarily successful political movement. I mean, as far as I can tell, they won everything. They control every level of power in the United States um, because for a while, like the, the Republican Party, the Republican Party forever tried to stamp out its base, right? Like its base was clearly clamoring for something else. Um, and the party leadership kept on shoving these guys down their throats, like Mitt Romney and John McCain, who the voters fundamentally did not really feel that invested in. And um, they kept on losing. Um, surprise, surprise. When they finally got their guy, they won, right? Their guy was Trump. And that's when they started winning. And the Democrats are now kind of in a similar position in which they keep on, they keep on throwing up these people who fundamentally don't excite anyone. Um, and they're going to keep losing as long as they do that, as long as they keep stamping out their base, right? As long as they try to keep on imposing in some way these people who fundamentally just don't have the kind of mass appeal 
um, or the ability to the ability to mobilize a mass constituency, um, they'll keep losing. So um, that's the that's just the fundamental problem with American politics, in that the party structures flow downward rather than upward. Right in a sort of traditional party organization in which the members had some sort of ability to enforce um, discipline from their politicians who they elect, who work for them, exactly. You know what I mean? Um, then that's when you people feel much more invested in politics. They feel like they can participate. They feel like they can change things. And that's why you see other systems have much higher voter turnout than the United States. Um, it's not that Americans are more lazy. Um, in fact, Americans work harder than almost any other uh, country in the world. If you look at hours and productivity and all that stuff, but they don't participate in the political process because they fundamentally don't feel like they can influence anything. So it's like, why bother? Right. Um, but if they had the ability to do it, they would participate a lot more. But our system just doesn't allow it. Um, it's just fundamentally built that way. It's it's just it's it's this huge structural problem and a huge structural barrier um, that we haven't been able to transcend. Um, we got close in the mid 20th century when there were large mass labor unions, which did um, give people the, the feeling that they could participate in politics and actually change things. But politics in the party structure without a mass labor movement um, is just fundamentally a more or less superficial uh, exercise. <laughs> Wow, so much to unpack here. Like it's a, you know what it's funny is we have these conversations and it's all we're having conversations with same people who get, you know, who actually care about humanity and care about the, the American people. And you can have a sensible conversation, but then you go out into the world and it's just this tribalism, as you said, this fanaticism, like this this celebrity culture, celebrity worship culture that has now infiltrated even politics. And you see people posting videos of their children that are Trump supporters because they think he's winning. And or like my, yes, queening Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, or, or you know, and it's just it's it's so disturbing because the last thing that I wanted was for that to infiltrate, uh, you know, the the political system and the uh, you know the the laws of the land and the stuff that 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 rules how how we maintain order in our country. And now it, every everything is. You know, everyone is run amok and it, and it exists on both sides. Right. Because we as people of color, we have this this stigma. And I really want to talk about this because I, I'll get Republicans who will say to me, well, you know, the Republicans freed the slaves. And I'm like, you know, you act like as if it was a humanitarian act, <laughs> you know, like right. the hell that black people have gone <laughs> through in America since then. We're going to ignore all of that. We're going to all get Abraham Lincoln shirts and Kanye is going to design <laughs> some Lincoln shoes. It just drives me crazy to have to hear people say stuff like that to me. And I just feel like, you know, to be able to be Republican and sit here and say, this is what's wrong with my party. And to say I'm a Democrat, but this is why I'm this type of Democrat, because there's something wrong with the party. It's just operating within transparency because it's not a yeah. secret. You know what I mean? But when it comes to people of color, all of these issues are politicized. Immigration, racism, women's issues, every day to score points with the constituents. What do these issues mean for them in actual terms of legislative action? Because in 2016, 100 million Americans didn't vote. So I'd love to hear from you. For me or? Which you? I'm sorry, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean. Jumping in. I'm, so, I'm not used to people sure. being civil, I'm sorry. Right. Well, the, so, okay. The defining issue of the last 40 years in American life has been flattening wages, um, increased corporate profits, basically downward, uh, downwardly mobile standard of living for the vast majority of people, right? Politics has not delivered the goods to anyone outside of the very, very rich in the United States for the last 40 years. Um, if you looked at the previous 40 years, uh, there was growth and there was a, a growing life expectancy and growing wage um, for the vast majority of the population. For the past 40 years, that's been flat or declining. So people don't feel like politics is worth it because it hasn't delivered the goods on anything. Like literally what is, like no one's life has gotten better um, fundamentally and from an economic standpoint, which is the one that, which is the, the aspect that really kind of, you know, it's the, your day to day. Like, can you put food on your table? Can you, you know, that's the thing that really, really matters. Um, it's just been downwardly mobile. And it doesn't matter whether the Republicans were in party in the 1980s, uh, the Democrats were in power in the 1990s, then the Republicans came back and then the Democrats came back. And it's just been the same kind of downward trend 
with very, very little, um, you know, uh, variation. So that's why people check out. I mean, it's just that's the fundamental reason. Um, if you looked at um, the era of mass politics in the 1930s um, in response to the Great Depression, when the economy started kicking back into gear and there was mass politics and people were feeling invested, that's when you saw much higher voter turnout. I mean, it's just that's just the way it is. Um, so if politics doesn't deliver, deliver the goods, um, people are just going to check out. So before uh, I'm going to allow um, Tara to respond, and but uh, Bakari has joined us. Uh, uh, Bakari and his new aesthetic is what I. Oh. <laughs> you got it. You got. It. You got to love it. Uh, this is my uh, Marvin Gaye-ish look. <laughs> Congratulations on, on your. Is what a holler? So uh, Bakari is an attorney, political commentator, and a politician but he recently published his memoir, My Vanishing Country, which centers on the forgotten lives of African-American working class people in the Union South. So it's funny that you that you just joined us because we were just having this conversation about how the political parties have, um, you know, they hijack issues of marginalized communities. And we were talking about how, how what has actually happened to improve the lives of people of color within, when we talk about immigration, when we talk about these issues, and um, Nando is uh, a, a democratic socialist. You know, Tara, you guys are buddies. She's a Republican, and of course, you're here. We, we couldn't talk about Joe Biden until you got here today, so we've been waiting for you. Oh, good. Well, I, let me just answer the question before we jump into that. I think that while I, I did hear a bit of what Nando was saying in terms of the two parties um, in a downhill trajectory, um, let me let me give you the, the answer to why I believe that's the case. I think that, um, and this is not the sexiest issue, it's probably not what viewers will go crazy about, um, but gerrymandering is the reason that partisan politics in this country has gone to hell in a handbasket pretty quickly. Um, why would you like, Bukhari, why do you say that? Um, because now you only have to um, attempt to woo the extremes of your particular party. Um, in many parts throughout the country, you're only running in primaries. There are no more general elections. There are only Republican primaries or Democratic primaries. And so you don't have individuals who are closer towards um, um, unifying or bringing people together or even having to have conversations with those individuals who may, like, who may not think like them. And you begin to see that become cyclical because not only do you see that uh, in your electoral politics, but then you also see that in your media where you have the extremes, where you have individuals who are just simply talking in their respective silos and so uh it, it's not the sexiest issue in the world but i do think it's one that we have to talk about in every and we're in that cycle now because we now have the most important thing that we do every 10 years which is the census so whether or not you agree with anything that comes out of my mouth or not fill out your census um and then you you go into redistricting soon thereafter and so i think that we have an opportunity to do better um, when it comes to redistricting we have an opportunity to push for things like independent uh, commissions to actually draw lines. The last thing I'll say is why is that important? Because what's the number one thing people who are elected want to do? Get reelected. Mm -hmm. And so it's never healthy for them to draw their own lines that they're running in. Independent commissions are the way to do that. And I think once we have more fair um, redistricting, less gerrymandering, you'll have uh, a, a government that can work better together and not be at a standstill like this. Tara, I wanted you to respond because a lot of times people who are of color, people people of color who are uh, Republicans are always, uh, not always, but a lot of people call them sellouts. They'll say you're, you're betraying your people. The Republican Party is not for people of color. Um, people, it, it, you know what I'm talking about because oh, yeah. it, it happens. Uh, you, I mean, we, it happens all the time. So when I saw you, you at a Politicon, you were with Michael Steele. It was a group of, of black Republicans that are not pro-Trump, and it was like you guys were walking around like llamas because everybody was like, "Wait a minute, what is this group of people? What are they doing?" Right? You're like, "What do you mean you don't support them? It's because they're black, isn't it?" Right. And so, and because we don't have these honest conversations. So what do you say to the people who say? that you are you don't love black people and that you're against the movement because you consider yourself a conservative yeah i mean i've i've been called every name in the book never been called a llama though that was the, that's the first um, i'll take that as a compliment oh i am i'm just joking llamas are awesome they're, really they're the best um especially when they like prance around they're so cute but anyway uh 
listen, it, it's one of those things where whenever you're a nonconformist, uh, you have to be prepared for the people who may not understand where you're coming from. A lot of the times it's a, just a lack of listening and understanding. Um, you know, there are there is a, a very uh, checkered history over the last 40, 50 years of the Republican Party uh, in, in communities of color from the Southern strategy and other things that cannot be ignored. So there is a historic reason and an experience has been a negative one. So people are like, how could you possibly associate with that? And that's where one of the, you know, one of the, I mean, the Democrats have their own very, you know, uh, troubling history with racism, especially in the South with Dixiecrats and all those things and George Wallace. And I mean, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, of blame to go around. You know, there's there's things to go around that that we can't ignore. Where ha what happens is though, you have to, when people don't understand what the ideology is behind it, like when I say I'm a conservative first, I always identify with that and what conservative values are with in individual freedom, smaller government, um, you know, certain tenets of the conservative movement that I think would be, if we implemented them right, would be better for communities of color, um, for uh, investing in, in, in communities and in ways and empowering individuals. It's the parties and the people who make that a problem when they don't execute the, the ideology well. And then, then you get into these problems. So I don't really care what people say, what they call me. Um, what I try to do is have a conversation. Well, you know, well, let's talk, let's talk about it. And I've found that over the years, people, once they get a chance to talk to me, and I, and I hold this very dear to me, and I consider this to be uh, one of the crosses I have to bear as a conservative messenger. From the time I was 18 years old, my goal was to always present conservatism in a way that was different, where people, especially in minority communities, would hear it from someone who looked and sounded like them in a way they hadn't heard it before. Let's take out the, you know, the other parts of it and just talk about the issues, the policies and where it works and where it doesn't. And that's my goal. It's a little tougher to do that now <laughs> because of the era that we're in, obviously. Uh, and I have to always caveat, you know, that I'm a sane Republican. I am not a Trumper. I'm not a Trumper because like I, like I always said, there is a difference. Trump is not a Republican. Um, he's a, you know, he's a Trumplican. He's in for it for himself. This is what's happening here. This is, ain't nothing Republican about this. And so, um, so that's the, that's the challenge. It's just like, it's, we need to be able to listen and have conversations more and stop prejudging people what you think they are because of the sins of others who may have had the same label. Because nobody is uh, hey, pure here. Look, let me just say this. There is a difference between um, Tara Setmeyer and Jermichael Singleton um, and, you know, the group of individuals who you can have a dialogue with about how we're going to, uh, you know, we all we all have very similar goals. We have different right. ways of getting there. That's right. There's a difference between these these two individuals that I outline and Candace Owens. Like, they're not, sure. they're not the same. They're not the same sensationalized ignorance that we have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. And so I appreciate that. Um, and, and Thank I think, you, Bakari. <laughs> I, 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 but I don't envy your struggle now because that having to, having to, you know, espouse conservative values without the intricacies of racism or race that comes from the White House is just That's very tough. difficult. Yeah. So. So, but, well, you know, I think understanding that uh, white supremacy is real and it is the country was founded on it, that it is embedded in the DNA of the country, then we can accept the fact that po political parties are not exempt from that. Correct. But we start talking about uh, one political party being less racist than the other. It's like, I always re refer to Malcolm X, I remember Malcolm X said, the South lets you get close, but not uppity, and the North lets you get uppity, but not close, but still, <laughs> it's all racism, right? Yeah. So when we talk about the, we have these conversations, Bakari, before we talk about Joe Biden, one of the things that I asked to the panelists is why they subscribe to their political ideology and what criticisms they have of their own political party. And I wanted to be fair and ask you the same thing about the Democratic Party before we yeah. talk about Joe Biden. Well, I mean, I think that um, for me, uh, being a Democrat, especially where I live in South Carolina, um, it's always been the party of uh, access to quality care. It's always been the party of uh, attempting to assure some a level of economic mobility, but even more importantly, it's always been the party on the side of um, ensuring people had 
uh, their God-given rights. You know, it's always been on the side of civil rights. It's always been on the side of gay rights. It's always been at the forefront of these civil issues. And so it's a very easy choice for me. I am not someone, though, who goes without challenging the Democratic Party. In fact, one of the things that I hate um, most, and, you know, people try to put this label on uh, Republicans, but it is a Republican, it's a Democratic, and it's a Democratic Socialist ideal that drives me insane because it doesn't help people of color, is you cannot address race-specific problems in this country with race-neutral policy. There is no such thing as lifting everyone up, you know, lifting all rising tide lifts all boats. That doesn't, that doesn't do anything. And so my progressive friends who were further to the left of me ascribe to this notion. Many of my conservative friends ascribe to this notion. And just as a person of color who sits here kind of like, what are we doing policy-wise? The best example is this, PPP. We know where all the people are dying, right? All the black folk are dying in this country from coronavirus and COVID-19. Communities are being ravaged. Small businesses are going under. Black women as Tara know, who, who, who small businesses are growing at the fastest rate in the entire country? Black women. So we have PPP, right? And we just throw funds out there to anybody. Who gets it? All the white boys get it. Why do all the white boys get it? Because they all get it. Because they have these natural banking relationships. Because they have, you know, they have access to these resources. Uh, you know, you have many black folk who are unbanked, who don't have these the access to capital, and it's always been that way. So instead of diverting direct funds to these areas that need it with a race-specific solution, we just threw out a few hundred billion dollars and said, this rising tide is going to lift our boats. But what you saw was immigrants, Native Americans, and black folk were still left out as they always are. And so I think that that is a sin of... Uh, all three of our varying perspectives up here. And I think that that's a problem in our perspective. And it drives me crazy when my Democrats do it because even black Democrats do it. And it's, and it's obscene. Yeah, you, I always have, and Nando, with regards to the progressive movement, it was, it felt uh, like it's been hijacked, right? Because as everything is always hijacked when it comes to people of color, it, it felt like it was built on the backs of, of black people, right? People of color. And then now, it, 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 the the progressive movement, as all the other movements, seems to ignore people of color, um, and 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 I think sometimes even one of the most insulting things is not that you don't have a voice, but it's I'll use my voice for you. Let let me, let, I got it. I'll do it for you. You know, and you're like, sit down, Karen. I can speak for myself. <laughs> so, what do you say about that? Because I I do. I have a lot of people of color who say to me. That, that, that movement was based on the backs of our struggle. And now all of a sudden we too have been left behind in that as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, you saw it a lot in, uh, in the, the Obama era when, you know, huge percentages of Hispanic people voted for him and then he became the largest deporter in the history of American politics, right? Um, deported more people than anyone else. And um, so that 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 just is intrinsic so much in our system, right? And you can't look at uh, American history without um, seeing like this, just that it's built on blood-soaked white supremacy. It's just that's just the reality of it. Um, I guess like the way I would the way I would frame it or the way I see it is like we should look for um, a, a minimum standard of living that that is comfortable and um, you know provides. The basic needs for everyone, whether it's housing, whether it's income, education, healthcare, um, like that should be non-negotiable. Like that should be just a basic premise with which we can begin every single other conversation. Like that, there, no one should be in the richest country in the history of the world. Like no one should be without these basic things because we can afford it. Um, it's very, it's it's just not a it's not a problem of resources. We're not poor. We're rich. We have tons of re you know we have vast swaths of land with all kinds of riches that are coming out of it and we have the productive capacity to provide for everyone it's just a political problem that we don't do it it's a choice right um so I, that's that's just like the the fundamental starting point that i come from and you know obviously like these things um all, all these inequities based on race gender uh, sexual orientation are baked into the system i mean they're from hundreds of years and unwinding them is a unbelievable task. Um, but we should start with the premise that no one, 
like no one, not a single person in the United States should be homeless. Not a single person in the United States should go bankrupt because they don't have because they can't afford their health care. Uh, these are such basic foundational things to live your life that they're just common sense that everyone needs. I mean, it's they they should be non-negotiable. I mean, that that should just be the starting point of any sort of con conversation. So I, I want to I don't want to miss out on talking about uh, Joe Biden, because what um, I, I wanted to to make sure that. So what happened was I knew that once Joe Biden said what he said, Simone Sanders was going to get demonized. I already knew because it is always uh, the responsibility of everyone else to uh, be. <laughs> so everyone has to hold the responsibility for what, especially women and women of color. Like I knew that they were coming for her because of you know her position with him. But I, I wanna hold Joe Biden accountable for what he said. And I don't wanna hold Simone Sanders accountable for it or Jamel Hill because she defended him. Because I think a lot of times we, we misdirect our energy and, and we need to hold people accountable for what they said. Joe Biden said on the Breakfast Club today with Charlemagne that if you don't vote for him, then you're not black. And so <laughs> it was a joke for him, right? But it, it said Twitter ablaze. And, you know, I, I, I saw the meme of, you know, Simone Sanders being Steven from Django when Leonardo DiCaprio dies and Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio is Joe Biden. And I, I think people don't realize the kind, of, the, the kind of effect that all this stuff has because we're all just human beings. But I did want to address uh, the comment because it, it did. I, I know I was like, what? What did he say? What did he? I had, and I went back and looked at it again. And I text Charlemagne, and I was like, "Did he really just say that?" <laughs> I, I don't know if that was worse because I know that he was addressing Charlemagne because Charlemagne made a comment, she supported Diddy when Diddy said that the Democrats need to be held accountable for the votes, like that you can't just we don't we need to we need to bargain and we need to get something out of it. But there was no plan behind it, right? It was it was just. We need something for the vote. And that, that could be another $1,200. You know, we don't even know what that is. But I, I did want to say, I wanted to hear your thoughts on what Joe Biden said. And because I, 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 a lot of people were offended by that. And I understand because I felt like it was, dis, it was dismissive and just not the right time. So I'm just going to open it up to you guys. And um, I'm going to start no. with her because I saw her face. No, go ahead, Bakari. No, I'm going to no, say that the comment was ignorant. Um, look, the comment was ignorant and it, and it, and it uh, you know, I, it, <laughs> when you watch the interview, I love Charlemagne. Charlemagne's like my brother. When you watch the interview, you realize it was unsolicited too. It's like, it just, it just came out. And if for him, you could see his laugh. Cause he was like, this is about to be some hot shit. And you can, you can see that he, he, he was, he was preparing himself. Like he was a rapper to drop this hot bar. And everybody was like, yeah. And you know, Charlemagne just maintained this face where he just kept pressing forward. It was an ignorant comment. And I wish that he would have gone down the path of actually showing the difference and being articulate about the difference between what a Biden White House and what a Trump White House would be for African Americans, or maybe what his agenda is. At the end of the day, um, I do think it's okay for you to, for you to demand more of Joe Biden while also stating, like, I don't think you have to be one or the other. I think you can demand more for Joe Biden and state that you're gonna work hard to make sure he's president of the United States because you have a stone cold racist in the White House, right? And to all my friends who are watching this, uh, you know, with all due respect, let me add a level of refreshing honesty. You have a binary choice. You either vote for Donald Trump or you vote for Joe Biden, right? And so I'm going to be on the side of calling out Joe Biden when he makes mistakes like this, demanding more of him and the people around him. And I understood what Puff was saying. It was not, it was in our, it might've been inarticulate, but I do understand what he was saying or attempting to say. And I think that, after, that black voters, especially black women, uh, deserve to have respect in the process and some agenda to, to make sure that they're activated, not just voting. Black folks are gonna vote, but is my mama gonna get her phone tree and she gonna get her entire sorority? To vote and those girls they're pledging on campus to vote i mean is she gonna you know are they going to work for for this and so i say that it's okay to keep hold joe biden accountable demand more from him and also think it's okay to say i'm not going to vote for who's in the white house i think we don't have to choose one or another so uh 
Yes. And as a political, I am a political communications person. That's what I've done my entire political career. So I always look at messaging, how it, how things come across, how it's articulated. And as someone who spent several years on Capitol Hill as a communications director, so you're working for a principal, uh, I've had moments where they don't always listen to you, right? You prep them, you give them the basics of what to say and try to keep them on message for things. And and then, you know, the ones that think that they're cool will go off. I don't want to say down script all the time, but they'll go off on their own little tangents. And, and sometimes that's when they get themselves in trouble. That's what happened here with Joe Biden. Does anybody think that Joe Biden's a racist? No. Is Joe Biden a bigot? No. His record and his in his, you know, people can argue about the crime bill. That's a whole different thing. And I could I'd be, you know, I could, I'd be happy to have that conversation. Um, but that what didn't come from a bigoted racist place. Donald Trump is a bigot and a racist his entire life, his whole professional career. His father was a racist that all, everything about Donald Trump screams bigot. And so when, you know, when, when Joe Biden says a stupid comment, like he said today, which I, um, I, gave an interview to the Washington Post about this. And I said, listen, um, he should apologize for it. It was, in a, it was, it gives, especially those of us who have criticized the Democratic Party for taking black votes for granted for years. Uh, it gives, it gives this side all, it, it, it reinforces that stereotype. And I think that Joe Biden should apologize. Is it disqualifying? Absolutely not. The, to Bakari's point, the, the choice is clear here. Do you really honestly think Joe Biden's not going to fight for the interests of the black community and for minorities and, and, and put, you know, his policies over the years have always been in support of things that are helpful in those areas. So should he be disqualified because he said a stupid thing today? No. Should he get criticized for it? Yes. And as a, and as a person who's in political communications, I guarantee you that his people and Simone and everybody else went, oh, Damn, after he said that, because the interview was going pretty well for the most part. But when you say something like that, it destroys any, anything good that happens. And you just go, oh, because you have to try to defend your principle now. So it's uh, unfortunate. I think he should apologize. And, um, you know, he thought he was being cool. He probably heard some of his black staffers say something like that, talking amongst themselves. And he thought, here I am on the, you know, I'm on the coolest black show on radio with this cool, you know, Charlemagne's that, you know, he's that guy. I'm going to try and be cool. And he, and it, and it went awry. And that's what happens when you have an older candidate that thinks they're down. <laughs> you know, he's, he made a mistake and he's going to have to answer for it now. In the words of my hero, when keeping it real goes wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nando. You know, the, the comment was obviously incredibly dumb. Uh, the, the, you know, it's, it's, it's just the latest in, in, in kind of the, you know, the Joe Biden gaff fest. I don't know, but I, I find that less important than when he said, for example, like, okay, look at my record and like, okay, let's look at his record. Joe Biden made his name as a young senator in the 1970s, one of the youngest senators ever in the United States. Um, he made his name as being the first Northern liberal to break with the party on school busing. And he gave Northern liberals cover um, to flip-flop on that issue, which is why Strom Thurmond was so happy with him and so thankful that he asked him to give his eulogy at his funeral. Um, so let's but not pretend, that, let's not pretend that there were black folks in his community in Delaware. There were also in support of busing at the time. It was very controversial. It's not as black and white as we see it today. So I don't think it's fair to say that Joe Biden started his career on a racist issue. I didn't say that. I have not. I have not made any. I have not made any any comments on whether Joe Biden is personally um, in his heart a racist or a bigot. I I can't look inside his heart, and I can't. You know, I, I, there's no way for me to know. Um, all I can do is look at his record and the effects of the policies that he supported throughout his entire career. Right. That's. I, I'm not as interested in in finding out whether his heart is broken or not. Right. The context um, matters. That's all. Sure, but the, there's plenty. There were plenty of people who did not do that at the time. Um, so judgment matters as well. Um, and so Joe Biden, uh, whether it was the crack house legislation later on, I mean Joe Biden outflanked the uh, the Bush Padre administration on the right on uh, crime. So it's just it's 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 that's his record. I mean that's just that's just plain fact. Anyone can see it. Uh, I'm less interested to to 
like examine what's in his heart, just looking at his record. And then the other thing he said yesterday, which went way more under the radar and also speaks to the rightward shift of the Democratic Party, is that he said that he was not going to um, raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000. I remember when Barack Obama, uh, 10 years ago, was advocating the same thing, but for people who are making less than $250,000. So the cap just keeps going up, right? You know, we're just continuing to lower the tax base amongst the highest earners um, at the expense of everyone else. And that's just, that's the reality of the situation. So I, I will I would like to chime in on this because I, I'm very uh, clear about where I stand. I believe that all white people are racist. I don't think that they're all malicious, but I think that it is embedded in the, the it, it is embedded in the system that we were indoctrinated. White people have been indoctrinated to be racist. They don't some of them aren't aware of it and people of color have been trained to hate themselves. And every day we work towards getting out of that because of the way that the system is set up. It is it, it is expressed through media, it is expressed through, you know, the laws, it is expressed through everything that is around us. So um, when Joe Biden says something like that, which I think is, it's sometimes we got to hold our friends, our white friends who are the good white people in our lives accountable for some of the dumb shit that they say, because they think that they're cool, like you said, and they hang out with them. I'm one of them. I'm like one of them. I'm like, nah, you're not getting pulled over tonight. <laughs> so you're not like one of us. And I need you to to hold that back, my friend. But, um, you know, and, and and someone did say Simone should be held accountable because Simone is, is is running the ship over there and she and she should be held accountable for the things that that the that that campaign is doing. But I still think that, like you said, you That's can tell fair. all day. Yeah, yeah. it's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, she works for him. What's she going to do? Can I give you all a breaking yeah. news update? Do we have like a crayon or something that can do like a dun 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 breaking news? So anyway, just in to Ed O'Keefe, um, I'm probably going to get an email about quoting CBS News on, on air with somebody else. But and just in with a, in a call with black business leader, Joe Bi- black black business leaders, Joe Biden apologizes for his AM comments to Charlemagne the God. I should have not I should not have been so cavalier. I've never, never, ever taken the African-American community for granted more. I shouldn't have been such a wise guy, Joe Biden later said later in the call with the U.S. Black Chamber. I shouldn't have been so cavalier. No one should have to vote for any party based on their race, their religion, their background. Well so, done. So the, the only difference, so actually it's a really good apology. Yes. Uh, let me just tell you this uh, while we're doing this. It's, re, it's kind of refreshing to see a man apologize when he fucks up. Can I Absolutely. say- Absolutely. I'm sorry, didn't mean to. <laughs> I apologize. Okay. It's kind of uh so X rated. Oh good. Do you know who you're on with? Have you uh-huh. heard I stand up? Over here trying to take Cameron Hall's job now with this show. I didn't know if she was, you know, turning a new leaf or something, and now she's no longer <laughs> I'm just tired. I'm tired, just right. like everybody. But I'm just, you know, having somebody apologize is uh is refreshing. And so and relatable. I, I mean, People look. appreciate that. They appreciate that when you screw up and you you say, you know what? Yeah, I stepped in it. People relate to that and they appreciate it. And most most of the time, and they'll move on because they everybody makes mistakes. So I agree with you, Bakari. I'm very happy about that because I yeah, needed, you needed to do that. So I, I did want to talk about uh, women because um, I do. So listen, I'm a stand-up comedian. All of this is going into the next special for HBO. I'm working on my special as we speak because American politics is giving us far more material than anything sure. else in the last couple of years. Um, but I do want to. I do want to talk about women because when we watch the Republican Party and this. Uh, this glamour, this glamorizing of Melania Trump, but from a superficial standpoint, right? They did it with Sarah Palin, like these women are beautiful and and that's really sexist, right? And then when you look over at the Democratic Party, Kamala Harris was demonized for doing stuff that uh, men have been doing forever. Like, and so she, she's being held to a higher standard. And and I do want to talk about sexism within the political parties, because I also think that sexism is also embedded in the DNA of the country. What do you say about your political party and their and how they deal with women and this whole and, and and listen, I understand that this whole Melania thing is part of that Trump culture that isn't 
the Republican Party. But Sarah Palin also with these the lipstick and they kept talking about her shoes and she was attractive. But then, you know, Michelle Obama has to cure cancer to be, uh, you know what I mean? Like she can show her shoulder and we see Melania Trump, you know, getting it in with another chick naked. And and she is like this beautiful idea of what a, of the American woman. So I, I just really don't, I don't want to neglect that. And I wanted to make sure that because when I watched, you know, Hillary Clinton, if you don't like her and you, you, you don't agree with her policies, I respect that. But a lot of people hated Hillary because she was a woman. And, and I just think that it is, it is irresponsible to ignore. So I, I did want to hear what each of you had to say about, you know, the sexism that we, we experience within these parties. Nando AOC gets it all the time. Um, so I'll start with you. Me? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I was not a Hillary Clinton supporter. I do not like Hillary Clinton at all. Um, but I, I can recognize that Hillary Clinton is probably the largest recipient of, um, sexism in any political figure in American history, probably like, I mean, especially like in their, you know, what she went through in the early nineties and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, I can I can recognize both things at the same time, you know, that I can be like sort of opposed to her entire political program uh, while recognizing that she was a victim of sexism. Um, I think that those two things can coexist. Um, but yeah, I mean, sexism in American life. Yeah, it's everywhere. You know, I, don't know. <laughs> I wish I had something more interesting to say. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it exists. You know, there's no there's no use denying it. It's just it, I don't know. Within the Progressive Party, when when I hear a lot of people, when I see a lot of people tweet about AOC, they talk, they tweet about her looks. And well, her yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, any any any. I mean, just look through any any female policy. Like, Ilan Omar when went went through it with with the Palestinian comments. I mean, it was like insane. I mean, the, the, look through any of their mentions on any given day, um, and you'll see what we're talking about. It's not it's not it's not rocket science. It's it's right there, plain for everyone to see. And then you also, the Bernie bros were also very brutal, especially to women of color. Um, you know, I, I saw some things that went down at Politicon uh, the year that that Ida and I were there and that were just, that didn't, I didn't appreciate. So it, it go, it, it, no sector of this is immune to, um, I think, the, the sexism that you talk about. Um, listen, the, the, there's definitely a double standard. There's definitely hypocrisy when it comes to the way that Republicans, I, uh, you know, hold up someone like Melania Trump, who is has accomplished nothing in her life other than marry a billionaire and um, make sure she looks good all the time, compared to others and other first ladies. And I think that it's and especially the 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 family values crowd in the Republican Party, the you know that used to be the values voters that if. <laughs> I just, I just can't even believe how how hypocritical they have been, especially given Melania Trump's history and, and the photos that we have of her out there in the public domain that you alluded to, Ida. That I just, can't, I just can't even like it's, I, I can't, and I, I have to sometimes be careful with what I say because she's technically still the first lady of the United States, and I, you know, but my feelings about her have been very clear. And then you have you have these enablers like Kellyanne. I had a little bit of a little bit of a Twitter uh, viral moment earlier in the week when Kellyanne made the comment about how Joe Biden is like a frat, uh, you know, guy at the end of a frat party. I just need a woman. And I'm like, really, honey, how do you think you got your job? And why do you think you still have one? You give Donald Trump and his sexism cover for the things that he has said and done in his past and continues to do and how he views women. You know, the way he goes after women uh, reporters who are tough on him during briefings and reminiscing and, you know, longing for the 1950s housewife um, uh, ideal of a woman. And I mean, Kellyanne, I believe, is solely responsible for why Donald Trump got elected, because she stood by him after the Access Hollywood comments about grabbing pussies that most that Republicans wanted to jump ship on him and thought he was dead in the water. And here she is, the most powerful woman in a political campaign at the time. She decided to make the decision to stick by him. And that gave cover to all of the men and to women. Well, if she's okay with it, she's a mother of four and she's there. If she's okay with it, then I guess we can be too. 
And that's why the Republicans stuck with, stood, stood by Donald Trump through that god-awful episode, which should have disqualified him right then and there. And so you have these women who are enablers that allow it, and they give cover to it. So, you know, I think we need to take responsibility for where we play a role in that, too. What, what's acceptable for us as women as well. Bakar, you think Kamala was unjust, unjustly held to purity tests as a... Oh, no question. I mean, I think that I, if I was able to write a book about her campaign, I would just call it a, a collision. The collision would be the name of it. You had the campaign that wasn't run the best from the inside, and you had a media who didn't know how to cover her, and it made for a really, really tragic car crash to watch. Um, I think um, I'm not going to sit here and judge Melania. I mean, she's a birther. I don't really give her much energy or breath. Right. I try to make it a, I, me personally, I try to make it a practice not to talk about people's commitment. A lot of times they get drug into politics, um, you know, not on their own fruition. And um, so I just, I, I have a certain rules. I never really talk about people's significant others. I don't really talk about where people send their kids to school and who they pray to. I don't think that's just me. There is a lot of sexism in this world. Um, but boy, Bakari, but she's not a victim here. Oh, a lot I don't of people try to make her out as a victim. No, I just right? thought it her. I'm just going, I'm just saying, I'm, yeah, she ain't no victim. I, I hope right. she's made choices. She's now in the public eye and she made a choice and I don't you know, how she, how she conducts herself and what she chooses to speak out on and what she doesn't. And has a, you know, come on the be best campaign. What a joke that is when your, your own husband is the biggest violator. Come on now. Yeah. I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. And I think that um, I love Hillary Clinton. Um, I think that when history is written, she is one of our more profound leaders, not just women leaders, but leaders in the history of this country. Um, and I think that she uh, has, it was, you know, has been unjustly bastardized for the better part of my life for 30 years. Um, but I think it's, it's on both sides of the aisle. I don't think anybody escapes it and we have to do a better job, especially when it comes to what I want to see the Democratic Party do is begin to uplift black women instead of instead of just saying thank you to them. I wish they would uplift them. You know, and um, and and certainly not judging her. I'm a stand-up comedian, so I I I'm sure that they can find a tweet or two that will probably get me canceled for a week. But I will say this is that I, I it, in pointing out when I said what I said, I was I was just making the distinction of how uh, Michelle Obama was criticized for showing her shoulder. Right. And by the same very same people who, you know, came to Melania's aid. And and I certainly am not in the position to judge anyone. I'm I'm pro woman. But I just feel like we gotta call it the way it you know, the way it is. Um I it's time to go, but one thing that I I've seen a lot of people comment and saying that they're not voting. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if you could just say um, one thing I think is so important to I vote for my grandmother every time because my grandmother came here in the 50s. She's a black woman from Puerto Rico was not. She got chased by dogs. She got hosed down and um, she she came right into the civil rights movement without speaking a word of English. And she could read and everything about her was getting to vote so that she could make her, her voice heard. So I, I, if any time I feel lazy or I feel apathetic, I go to the polls for my grandmother every single time. And I think it's important because we do see change when we talk about local, the local people that are in our habitat that affect our daily lives. As you see the people who enabled George Zimmerman to go free, those people are now out. And I think it's so important for us not to become apathetic. So if what would you say, if there's anything you can say to encourage people um, to vote so that we can, uh, you know, make an impact this November because I think that this election is probably one of the more important elections of our life, right, our lives. So I'm going to start with you, Tara, because I see you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have no time for people who say that they're not voting. They complain the loudest and then they don't do anything about it. Um, you know, at this point, we can, there are flaws in our system. No system is perfect. However, this is our system. And the only way to change that system is to vote people into office who represent your interests and hold the ones who don't accountable. That's the way it works here. So, you know, if you, if you want, <laughs> they, that's right. Your kids agree with me. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, too many people, especially for for the people of color, too many people have fought and bled and died for the rights to vote in this country. And to take that for granted 
I think disrespects their efforts, their memory, and their their um, a power that they have act that their lives have given us. It's like so. This this election and, and that goes for local levels too. I mean, it's not just the national level. I'm glad you brought up local elections. A lot more happens that impacts every your everyday life on a local level. So there's even less voter participation oftentimes when it comes to local, state and local elections. And that's um, we got to change that. And and I you know Bakari knows because he was an elected local elected official and you know, on the state level. Um, what that requires that's more that so we have to be more engaged we have to it is our responsibility to do that you can't sit here and say that you are you know it's power to the people and you know how you without exercise using the easiest thing for you to do which is to go out and vote be informed and vote so that's my message you you can't complain and not do anything about it when you have something that has been that people there are people in other countries who, you know, they, they'll travel by mule for 50 miles under, you know, a, a threat of gunfire and kidnapping to go exercise their rights to vote. And we take that for granted here in this country and we shouldn't. And this election, if any, if you've never voted before in your life, you need to vote like your life depends on it in 2020 because mm -hmm. it literally does. Yeah, I was going to comment and just simply say before Nando, I'm sorry for, for jumping in because I'm a, no. I'm a real quick, but um, you know, you, you you must you took the words right out of my mouth. You must vote like your life depends on it. My father was shot in the civil rights movement, and you know, he he was a member of SNCC, and so I could tell people those stories. But our generation really is like, well, that was yesterday, and so I always challenge people to say that we have to give people a reason to vote for us. And I think that um, this past four years has shown us that. Um, we cannot take for granted who's in the White House. There's no such thing as a lesser of two evils. Um, you know, and, and if you do not vote, then we count you as a vote for Donald Trump. That's right. Point blank period. You want that on your record for the rest of your life. And I think that's a vote for xenophobia, bigotry, racism, an economy that's stagnant, a pandemic that's killing us, um, engagement overseas where we uh, don't need to be, and a lack of engagement where we need to be. And so uh, that's my two cents. And I, I firmly believe that uh, I still believe in what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. So just call me 35 years old and with my youthful naivete, hopefully I maintain it for a long period of time. And you can hear more stories like that in Bakari's book. Uh, it's called My Vanishing Country. My Vanishing Country. Look who's on the, can you see who's on the back of it? That's a broadcasting professional. Do you see that? I can't see it. We can't. Hillary. Hillary. Right? Oh, yeah, Hillary Rodman. <laughs> I just—he was smiling a minute ago, and then he just—he just stopped. Yeah, good on you, man. That's a—that's a good get. That's a—that's a big get. Congrats on the congrats on the book, Vakari. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nando. Uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to vote. Voting is very important. Uh, It's—I I, the absolute minimum you know to do. I think is is to vote. I mean, voting. Uh, is also just a, a very limited way to engage in politics. If you want to engage more, get involved in any local housing fight, get involved in some sort of local issue. That's a good way to feel politicized, to feel like your your contribution matters, um, to feel like you can have an a, a effect on the world around you. Um, I, that that's that's something I would always encourage people to do. Uh, but yeah, go out and vote. There's no reason not to. Okay, so we're out. Bakari, show us the baby. He just ran away, and his uh, sister was that Stokely. That was Stokely. Here we want to see the baby. You don't have to push the baby out the it's door. Baby, baby. twins. I follow you. I see. I, now I know why you grew your hair out because you want man, to look man to man defense around here. Everybody get one and just guard your man. Guard your man. <laughs> and say, Sadie's doing well. Everything's Everybody going did. good. Good. Thank good. you. Thank you. Keep us in your prayers and everybody have a blessed day. Absolutely. Same to you. Thank you. See you later. Take it easy. Bye bye.